0: Welcome to the Relationship Road Trip, navigating the twists and turns of all the important relationships in your life. I'm Ben Azevedo, your backseat driver. You know, from back here, it looks like your mirrors aren't quite right. I'm Dr. Don Fernando
1: Azevedo, clinical psychologist, executive coach, and voiceover artist, your navigator.
2: And I'm Kim Azevedo, licensed marriage and family therapy associate, sassy as ever, your mechanic.
0: And you, faithful listener, are our driver, getting us to work safe and on time. Shouldn't that be safely?
2: Technically, yes.
0: Getting us to work safely and on time.
2: Is by Elaine Walteroff. Every boss I've ever had has challenged me, pushed me, believed in me, and led by example.
0: Last week, we did a quick overview of the kinds of relationships you might expect to encounter in a working environment. This week, we'll get up close and personal with your boss. Maybe too up close and personal. First off, what is a boss? Who are we talking about here?
2: Me. I'm the boss.
0: You're not my boss.
2: I'm everyone's boss.
0: Yeah, Kim was born on uh, National Bosses
1: Day, so she's been baby boss ever since. For our purposes, a boss is someone who directs your work and controls your paycheck. The emphasis on controls your paycheck. It's always a power relationship, even if both parties don't want it to be, because of the control of the paycheck. It can be cooperative and collaborative, even with that power differential, and it can also be dictatorial and difficult. It really depends on the two people and how they work together.
0: What about if you're an entrepreneur or a freelancer or in other ways self-employed? Then who is your boss? Then the customer is your boss because
1: ultimately they control your paycheck. They either return and buy stuff from you or they don't. But entrepreneurs love to say, I'm my own boss. Sure. I, I used to say that, too, until I realized that I am at the mercy of every one of my customers. Hmm. I can be my own boss all day long, but if they don't return, I don't get to pay for my mortgage and my car payment and gas and food.
0: For you, though, do your, your customers don't really direct your work. Well, in a way that they do.
1: So my patients come in and they set the problem statement and then the
0: goals. Hmm. So they've directed my work. Well, our quote of the day suggests a positive relationship with a boss. Kim, what are some ways to create and maintain that?
2: Hey, surprise. It is focused on communication and talking with your boss.
0: (laughs) Wait, you have to talk to your boss? Right. I mean, I just want a boss to come challenge me and believe in me. Um, Why do I have to talk to (laughs) him? How how are they going to challenge you? Well, they demand something and then I silently acquiesce. Oh, so they said something to you. They well, I don't have it. to talk to them.
2: So they dictate your entire life.
1: <laughs> yes, but right. they're nice. But uh, they're nice. Kim, Kim, how do how do we keep and maintain real good relationships Go
2: Uh So a lot of communication. Uh, obviously, that's talking about the expectations and the priorities that are in the workplace and being responsive, right? So you got to keep your boss updated on your progress as you work towards meeting deadlines and your commitments. And this, this goes for... Maybe you're running late on a commitment and you need to communicate, hey, something came up and I am running late on this or this job is taking longer than I expected. And here's why. Right. And explaining this isn't just me failing as a employee. This is the factors that are going into what's happening with my my job.
0: I have I have a couple of questions here. I think that last thing you talked about is really taking that kind of personal responsibility for your own work and deadlines is really difficult for a lot of people. I don't know if, if you have any suggestions for that. It's definitely partially the, the trust with the boss, right? That they'll believe you, that you're not just making up excuses.
2: So another one of those is looking at your your history, the data of your work as an employee. Are you constantly calling in on Friday saying, oh, no, I can't come into work because I'm sick so you can start your weekend early? Or are you calling out Monday because you're <laughs> hungover from partying all weekend? And oh, if, no. that's, <laughs> if that's a consistency, yeah, you might lose the trust of your boss. But if you show that you are a trustworthy employee and you are consistently doing your job, and then when something comes up, your boss is more likely to believe that this is an anomaly to your work, because fundamentally in the past, you have been doing your work correctly.
0: Right. Your dog can't eat your homework every time.
2: Correct. If it is a chronic thing, also explaining to them, you know, maybe there's a reason why. Do you have a sleep disorder? And that's why you can't get into work before 10. You don't have to go into super details, but explaining that there's a medical condition or some form of reason for a behavior shift.
0: The other thing I wanted to talk about was, I think there's a a fine line between communicating well with your boss and talking about deadlines and priorities and all of that and feeling Micromanaged, if there's that expectation for over communication. Do you have any thoughts about how to ride that line? Because I think it's very important to communicate a lot, but I can understand that sometimes that feels like being micromanaged, and most people don't like that.
2: You're right. And it is a fine line, and it also depends on the individual. That's part of communicating with your boss and saying, you know, once a week meetings are great, or, you know, once a month is better for me. And here's the way that works. In this dynamic, it also depends on the type of job that you have, obviously. But understanding your connection with your boss and understanding your connection with your own work. Does your job require weekly meetings? If it does, how are you going to show up to those? Because it is a requirement of your job. Maybe you feel micromanaged, but that's also on you to address why. Why do you feel micromanaged by this when it's an expectation of your job?
1: And a lot of that has to do with how the boss does that. If there are no degrees of freedom, I've been told what to do, and now I'm being told how to do it at every step. That's what most people define as micromanagement. And that's, that's just not good communication between the two folks and not good trust. So how do you fight micromanagement? The first is to develop a better trusting relationship. That means you need to be reliable, credible, approachable, And your boss is much more likely to trust you and back off, uh, particularly if you're less self-oriented and more team-oriented. That's the way that you take personal responsibility on your end to improve the relationship, showing that you are a trustworthy individual. It's hard because some bosses, they're not ever going to back off. And
0: then, you know, you got to tweak your job, find another job, do something different. Find another boss. Yep. What are some other things you can do if the relationship with your boss goes sour? So something other than micromanaging, maybe it's it's a really aggressive relationship or it's become dictatorial. Is that the word you used? That is the
1: word I used. Dictatorial. Again, it's going to begin with communication. Create a conversation that addresses the deterioration of the relationship. That means you have to be willing to go up and say, hey, boss, I've
0: noticed this change between us.
2: Hey, boss, you suck.
0: (laughs) No. Uh... I mean, that's already a huge step. Yes. Is it, is it not? I mean, that's, that would be, I think, in a lot of instances, very difficult to directly address the relationship between you and your boss. Because I don't think a lot of bosses and probably a lot of employees really see that as a relationship, even though it is. And that's why we're here talking about it. But that's a huge, huge step to make. It is a huge step to make.
1: And it is the way to begin The healing of whatever the heck is going on. Because if you don't understand why the relationship has gone sideways, there is no way for you to address whatever the underlying problems are. And the person who knows what is the matter is your boss at this particular point in time. And the reason this is so difficult is back to that definition of a boss. They have power over your continued
0: employment and your paycheck. Yeah, you have a lot at stake. There's a lot of risk and fear. Like, if I bring this up, will I get fired? Will I get demoted? Anything. Right. And if you bring it up well, you know, non-accusatory, really more trying to
1: understand, hey, boss, I'm trying to do better at my job. And I noticed that this has changed. You have a better chance of getting into the conversation. Now, it's only a better chance because there are people out there who just don't want to have this conversation, you know, and that could be your boss. Listen first to understand your boss's point of view. Let them tell you about the effect you have had on them or on the company. When you go to talk to your boss about this, plan what you want to say so that you can
0: succinctly state your point of view. Here's how I'm seeing I'm pro, things. pro Pro tip on that one. Really, anytime you need to have a significant conversation with someone, plan what you're going to say ahead of time. It almost certainly won't go... The way you planned it but it at least helps you frame up some of those thoughts so that you're not just reeling with the possibilities of things you could say sounds like you speak from experience there ben i mean i don't think that i have a very frequent big significant conversations that i would do this for
2: you definitely script and rehearse your phone calls
0: i have definitely i've scripted and rehearsed a phone call before sure I have definitely had meetings with work stuff where I've planned out what I wanted to say or thought through the meeting ahead of time. I just I think it's a good strategy if it's a significant conversation, if you know that there's likely to be emotion involved and that there's a lot or at least there's the perception of a lot being at stake. Yeah, I was
2: going to say if there's maybe like an expectation of high emotions, it's really good to have either a list or You know, when I was going through a lot at a previous job, I wrote a whole letter and I just sat there and read it to them because I didn't know how to express what I was trying to say well in a moment. I needed to sit with it first. Mm-hmm. But we are also in no way, shape or form saying that this is an easy conversation to initiate or have, you know, on this either is, side. Yeah. This is horrifying and really intimidating to have these types of conversations, but it's also well worth having these conversations because you get the opportunity, hopefully, to seek a solution.
1: And, and that actually brings me to the next point in this. So when, when your boss has talked about their point of view and you have stated your point of view Resist jumping to conclusions or solutions. Really sort through those points of views to discover what are the needs on either side so that you understand all of the needs that are present in this situation. Once those needs are identified, then seek a solution together that addresses all of the needs, both people's needs. That's how you're going to get real movement towards a healthier, better relationship. It takes discipline not to jump to conclusions. It takes discipline not
0: to have instant, easy solutions. What do you think about not even necessarily trying to get to a solution in that meeting? Because you can always follow up. And I'm thinking about a situation where, you know, the boss says, well, I really need you to be doing X. And you're thinking, I don't want to do X. That's not... What I came here to do, that's not like a thing that I'm willing to do, but you don't necessarily want to just say that right out in the meeting because maybe you want to think about it a little bit. Maybe a variation of X is something you'd be willing to do, but you need that time. And so, what do you think about not necessarily having this all start to finish? You know, you've again, this is a big conversation. There's a lot of emotion and energy in here. you've you've summoned up the courage to go say to your boss, "Hey, our relationship is is struggling. What can we do about it?" Is there room to have follow-up meetings about that? I think that's a great idea, Ben. But the thing that I would suggest is write down the
1: needs that you've identified. Actually write it down. Don't try and remember it because the second you walk out of the room, you'll have this emotional letdown that will also help you forget a lot of the details. So write down the needs that you've identified. Agree that this is the right list. Each person takes one and say, hey, let's get back together again tomorrow or a couple of days from now. Having thought about these needs and have some ideas that we can brainstorm with one another about ways to approach this. Awesome. That's a highly evolved problem solving mechanism. I love it.
0: Thank you. <laughs> I consider myself to be highly evolved.
1: <laughs> but it's really hard for both people, and you don't know how your boss is going to respond. If you're, if you're really wanting to develop some of this stuff, there are some good books out there. One is What Your Boss Really Wants from You by Steve Arneson. Or another great one, Uh, this one is by Dr. Deborah Mandel, and it's Your Boss is Not Your Mother. I love that title. It's just a great title.
0: What if your boss is your mother? Then there's a whole different problem. What if you're in a family business and your
1: boss is your mother? I was about to
2: say my boss is my dad.
0: That's pretty close to a mother. So we've
1: talked about that in some of the early sessions, that there are multiple roles between you and I, Kim. There are actually multiple roles with Ben because he's a contractor to our business for uh producing the podcast. We but were, he's highly evolved, so it's fine.
2: We were mostly <laughs> sassing you on the title, but sure. But sure, yeah, but I, I love mean, the title. You know, we do have uh multiple relationships and uh so far they we haven't had any problems as far as I know.
0: We're going along pretty well. I mean, I just haven't brought them up yet. I'm still working on my script. Okay. Work on your
1: script. Some other approaches in this is, you know, if your company can hire a coach that will guide you through it or use resources that are in your company. A big part of this, if you're having difficulty with your boss before you have the conversation, before you do anything else, sit with yourself and say, what, how am I behaving that might be contributing to this problem? Do some personal reflection, because if you stop and think about it, you may be doing things that are not in your best interest and not helpful to the company. And that takes taking personal responsibility.
0: All right. Our last scenario for this episode is a really touchy one. Kim, what do we do if you develop a romantic relationship with your boss?
2: I like your choice of words that this is a really touchy one. (laughs) (laughs) Well... If you develop a romantic relationship with your boss, I mean, I don't know, since I've never had a romantic relationship with my boss, there are other people on this podcast who have that experience. But there are a lot of aspects to that. It could be fine. We can hope that it would be fine. But there are a lot of statistics. There's a lot of research that shows that this can ruin your credibility. It can put a challenge on your employment at the company. So statistics show that one in four companies actually have written or verbal policies that restrict office romance. So you actually put your career, your job at risk if these are written documentations. It also, you know, we have research showing that romantic relationships with your boss, most people tend to regret it because it either ruins the job relationship in general or ruins the job itself, usually leading to termination or leading to the desire to quit.
1: Yeah, and it also has the potential of ruining your credibility uh, where your peers in the organization believe that the only reason you got that promotion or this raise or that bonus is because you're in a romantic relationship with your boss. And remember that it's a power relationship to begin with. There's a power differential. And in any romantic relationship, you really want that to be A relationship of equals. And it can't be. Even if both people want it to be of equals, even if both people in every other way have this more egalitarian view of the relationship, there's still this power differential at work that is not the people, but the titles they each hold and the relationship they hold and the responsibilities that they hold. It's not good. It's just not good.
2: There are outliers to this. Ben, you're, in my opinion, an outlier to both those statistics and the sentiments that we've described. And I know your relationship existed prior to your work relationship. So I reckon that has a fair amount of effect on the dynamics that were put in. But I don't know, you get to speak on your feelings.
1: Well, and the other part of this is I've worked with many family businesses where husbands and wives have worked together and they have done it successfully because they differentiate their husband-wife relationship from their titular roles in the company.
2: Well, and also it sounds like a lot of the relationships that work with jobs, the relationship existed prior to the job.
0: Yeah, I think I think that we could establish a bit of a trend there. Again, I'm sure there's outliers, but in both the cases, in my case and in the case with a family business that Don just described, you have a pre-existing relationship that then... Becomes a business, a boss employee relationship. In my personal experience, we work really hard to separate our personal relationship from our work relationship. And, you know, for the most part, that works fine.
1: Yeah. This really applies more to you've been hired into a company after a few months or a year a romantic relationship develops between you and your boss. That's the kind of thing that usually goes very bad. And Shirley Glass actually wrote a book about how those work relationships can affect marriages called uh, Not Just Friends. Shirley was brilliant talking about, in a work relationship, you're working on a project together. These are peers often. You have this huge success and you've spent so much time solving this problem that you develop this sense of romance because of this shared interest and, and all of the time that you spend together and the success that you just created. And that becomes an affair and then it kills your your marriage. Well,
2: or leads you to therapy, in which case Azevedo Family Psychology is currently taking on new clients.
0: That's true. <laughs> Kim always with the plug. There you go.
2: Listen, I'm in network with Blue Cross Blue Shield. This is an important thing.
0: <laughs> Nicely done. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Shall I wrap us up? Yes, sir. (laughs) This week, we covered what a boss is, which seems obvious, but we wanted to give you a nice, solid definition. Then we talked about having a positive relationship with your boss. You know, they can be powerful mentors. They can push you to do your best work and they can be great supporters in the workplace. But we also talked about what happens when your relationship with your boss goes sour and how to address that, which is very, very difficult, but we believe in you. And then last, we covered why you should avoid a romantic relationship with your boss. Just don't do it. We hope you enjoyed this episode and thanks for listening. As always, if you have any questions or comments, shoot us an email at questions at Until next time, enjoy the drive.
3: Thank you for listening to the Relationship Road Trip. We hope you enjoyed the episode and we want to know what you think. So write to us at questions at You can also support the show by rating and reviewing us on iTunes or subscribing with your favorite podcast app. You can find more episodes of the show at RelationshipRoadTrip.com or wherever you download podcasts. The Relationship Road Trip comes out every Wednesday at 7 a.m., so don't forget to tune in next week. The Relationship Road Trip is brought to you by Azevedo Family Psychology, where they are dedicated to helping you create a life worth celebrating. You can learn more about their services at Psychology.com. This podcast is produced by Bear Cave Audio. Bear Cave Audio provides a range of audio services from original composition to podcast recording and editing. To learn more, go to bearcaveaudio.com or email ben at bearcaveaudio.com.
1: Until we meet again, may the road rise up to meet you. May the wind be always at your back and may the sun shine warm upon your face.